1: Bound, gagged, and stripped down to his undershorts, Ann Arbor policeman George Stow was presumably a sight to see when a motorist spotted him on a Washtenaw County roadside in June 1944. He'd just hobbled away from a farmhouse where two convicts, on the run themselves, had just left him behind, fleeing in his police vehicle with his gun in tow. The Ann Arbor News would describe him weeping over the loss of his gun later that day at police headquarters. The incident, a seemingly rare fumble in what would be a storied 27-year career at the department, filled with daring arrests and meticulous police work. But just how did the then nine-year veteran find himself at the mercy of two criminals, his own gun barter, and a bribe for leniency? Welcome to Michigan Crime Stories. Stories is a podcast that explores murder, mysteries, and mayhem in the mitten state.
0: Criminal behavior has always enthralled us. It's when societies determine what is and isn't allowed.
1: We assume heinous crimes are committed by monsters, individuals we dehumanize in an effort to make sense of their deeds.
0: Their victims sometimes seem distant, just faded names in a passing headline.
1: But the terrifying truth is that crimes are committed by ordinary people just like
0: you and me. And many of those crimes happen right in our own backyard.
1: My name is Darcy Moran.
0: And this is John Cowns.
1: We're reporters for MLive.com and your hosts for Michigan Crime Stories. This episode is titled, The Patrolman's Escape. Suffice it to say, George Stoud did not get off to a slow start when he joined the Ann Arbor Police Department on November 1st, 1935. On his second day on the job, he faced off with a suspected car thief. He fired off two warning shots before diving into the coal pile where the man was hiding to wrestle him into custody. Stow would go on to earn recognitions for his skills as a sharpshooter and serve as a foot patrolman, a desk man, and a scout car driver in his first nine years on the job. That is until June 15, 1944, when he came across 29-year-old Nelson King and 25-year-old Marion Bozinski. By the time they crossed paths with Stow, King and Buzinski both had lengthy criminal histories stemming from childhood. King, in a bold move, attempted, and almost achieved, a getaway during his 1937 trial for armed robbery. Buzinski was also a practiced escape artist himself, making daring dashes from his juvenile detention home several times before the age of 17. Shortly thereafter, he was arrested, along with his father, for a street holdup. Ultimately, Buzinski was sentenced to prison, paroled in 1942, and returned the same year for violating parole. It was during that latest stint at Southern Michigan Prison that the two were assigned to a maintenance detail at a newly established honor camp at Cassidy Lake near Chelsea. It's unclear from Ann Arbor News reports just how they did it, but King and Buzinski are said to have escaped and made their way about 20 miles east to the area of Stadium Boulevard and Edgewood Avenue in Ann Arbor. That's near where Pioneer High School now stands. Stow would later tell a reporter that he was cruising the city streets in the early morning hours when he stopped a pair of men about 6 30 a.m. He decided to take them to the police station for further questioning because of their lack of proper identification. For what happened next we spoke with former Ann Arbor Police Lieutenant Mike Logie who currently works as a field representative for the Michigan Commission on Law Enforcement Standards overseeing police academies and conducting agency inspections. He's a lifelong history buff and during his time in Ann Arbor he wrote a book True Crimes in the History of the Ann Arbor Police Department. As Logie tells us, sometimes in police work, you just get a hunch. The time of day may have played into that for George
2: Stow. And his antenna was up, but it wasn't quite up far enough, you know, uh, so obviously, um, because as, as after he put them in the car, he put, um, his name was um, one, one uh, Nelson King, and the other, his last name was um, Basinski, I believe and Mr. Bozinski uh, was sitting in the back seat, Mr. King in the front seat. So, as they got to Maine and Packard, uh, Bozinski from the back seat put our officer in a chokehold and began choking him while King s- took his service uh, weapon from him. And as this was going on, a bakery truck was coming, coming towards them and he tried to signal to the bakery truck and then they started punching him in the face.
1: When all this is happening. Oh yeah, they're He's in the car. Them to the station. He's driving
2: them to the station. He's almost to the station, just a couple blocks away when when they overpower him.
1: The two drove Stow out to an abandoned farmhouse off Crane Road near Merritt Road, about four miles south of Ann Arbor. There, the pair stripped him of everything he had but the undershorts he was wearing and a few coins from his uniform pockets. They left those on the farmhouse floor. Stow would also tell the Ann Arbor News that the pair attempted to bribe him into a favorable report by offering his gun back, minus the cartridges.
2: You know, I can only imagine the fear that he must have been going through um not knowing what what these two were going to go do with him um because once they got to the farmhouse obviously they continued to strip him of everything and then king put on his uniform right in front of him you know and you can imagine how how that must have felt to him not knowing um and I, i i do know they bound his hands and and feet so tight he couldn't escape he was totally numb from from being bound so long um and then Eventually, was able to to get out of the house. Literally, had to hop because of the way his his um, feet were were tied, and he he got to the road and he hopped over a mile before he was able to flag someone down. Because back in those, and even now, the part of the county there is just all farmland, and that's where they took him.
1: So then, what happens next in this case?
2: Well, then we we were when I say we, I still feel like I am our cop. Um, back in the '40s. Uh, and I got information that these two had escaped Cassidy Lake. That they lived, had lived in Detroit. And it was funny because King, at one time, has, has he was in 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 jail for something else, and he escaped from an officer. Then he had taken, um, as he was going to the jail, he had taken his coat, thrown it off, thrown it on the top of the officer, um, disabled them, and then escaped. But he was eventually, he was eventually recaptured. So they they thought for sure that they were going to be in the Detroit area alerted uh detroit pd and eventually detroit pd did find our our stolen police car because they these guys they then took obviously took our patrol car took it to detroit and um and found it there from there they they searched for both suspects couldn't lo- locate either one of them uh Buzinski, um he had committed a string of armed robberies in in detroit come to find out he was in a bar in detroit and he was committing an armed robbery there and there just happened to be off-duty detroit police officer in the bar they uh, when he started robbing the bartender the detroit officer shot him once He, he he ran out of the bar then, and uh, the Detroit officer shot him two more times, and he died in the alley with, come to find out, our officer's handgun. That's the, the gun he was using to commit his robberies in Detroit. And then, so then uh, Officer Stow and the chief at the time, they had to come to Detroit, obviously, to recover our, our, our weapon, but also to identify the body of him. And it was a positive identification that he was the one that kidnapped our, our officer.
1: And what happens with King at this point? Is King still on King, the run?
2: Yep, King's on the run, and he fled to Wyoming for some reason. And once, once there, he was found to be impersonating an Army officer. And the FBI became involved in that and then they worked backwards and figured out that he was wanted in Ann Arbor. He was extradited back to Ann Arbor and he was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison.
1: It wasn't an open-and-shut case, however. After being located in November 1944, King served three years in prison on federal charges before finally coming to Ann Arbor. He was ruled mentally incapable of facing trial and was committed to a state mental hospital in 1948. He stayed there until 1951, when he was ruled sane and able to stand trial. Court records show King wasn't handed down his sentence until May 1953, nearly nine years after Stow's kidnapping. Stow would go on to have a lucrative career with the Ann Arbor Police Department, though the run-in with King and Buzinski would mark some of his career highlights. Less than a month after his kidnapping, Stow became a detective. The year King was sentenced, Stow was named head of the detective division. He retired in 1962 to run for sheriff, which he ran for twice, And worked 13 more years as an investigator for the University of Michigan Security Force. He worked as a private investigator after that, handling cases into his late 70s. He died in 1989 at the age of 81, more known for his legacy as a lifelong intrepid investigator than for his run-in as a young officer.
2: The good police officers are the ones like Officer Staub, who see that they see something that just isn't right and they act upon it. There's no crime being committed yet they know that something isn't right and sometimes those things can 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 look negative in that you'll get a lot of people why are you contacting this person when they haven't done anything because you know what's in your area you know the people in your area you know that that sixth sense just comes up and that obviously doesn't mean you just latch on to somebody but you want to take that a little bit further you know sometimes um so um I think people have to remember it's it's people like him that put himself in that position, um, where certainly it ended negatively. But he was doing a positive thing for the community because who knows what these two guys, if he wouldn't engage them, who knows what they would have done in Ann Arbor or or elsewhere.
0: So this is John Counts, and I'm sitting here with Darcy Moran, researched and reported this uh, story for us. So now, did this police officer, did he speak to the news at the time about this?
1: So that's a really good question, John. Um, Back in the day when uh, Ann Arbor was the daily print paper, they printed in the afternoon. So the first day that this was reported, actually... Uh, The incident had happened that morning, um, that day on June 15th, 1944, and the reporter went and sat with uh, then patrolman George Stow at his desk in police headquarters uh, that afternoon, and he described the whole thing. Uh, They talk about how he was weeping over his gun at the time and um, what was going to happen next in the case.
0: So I find that pretty interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, we've both been police reporters for some time here in Ann Arbor. And is this something that would ever happen now? Do you think that you'd be able to get in and interview a police officer where something like this had happened to them?
1: You know, it really depends on the department, the officer, what's going on. We've got some... um, Great sources here in Ann Arbor, Washtenaw County, but no, I don't think they would necessarily day of, just a few hours later, let us sit down with the the officer at their desk in police headquarters. You have to remember, this is also a time where a lot of times uh, reporters were stationed in police departments.
0: Right. So so it's fair to say they played it a little looser back then. Uh,
1: That is fair to say, yes.
0: (laughs) So while you were researching this story, uh, what surprised you most?
1: You know, I think what was most interesting to me was actually my conversation with Mike Logie kind of at length about this. Um, One of the things he said was that this really is an incident that could happen here and today. Um, He said it was a little bit different because back then, in his opinion, there may not have been as much worry about people's approach to police and the danger to officers, Um, but that this could happen here and now. You know, you let your guard down for a minute or anything like that, and this could happen.
0: Thanks for listening. This has been John Counts.
1: And I'm Darcy Moran.
0: Thanks for listening to Michigan Crime Stories.
1: Thanks to the Ann Arbor District Library staff who helped us locate articles regarding Lieutenant Stow, the clerks at the Washtenaw County Trial Court, and Chris Gouts, spokesman for the Michigan Department of Corrections. Also, thanks to Mike Logie for speaking to us and his three pooches, Cooper, Dexter, and Gizmo, who rescheduled their daily walk and continuous game of fetch for his visit. You can pick up a copy of True Crimes in the History of the Ann Arbor Police Department at the Ann Arbor District Library or read its contents online on their website. Finally, thanks to you for listening. Michigan Crime Stories is about telling the hidden, unknown, important, or odd stories in the state of Michigan. It's about what interests you. If you know a story that might fit the ticket or something you want to know more about, just give us a shout. You can email me at dmoran, that's d-m-o-r-a-n, at mlive.com. This has been Darcy Moran. Stay tuned for more episodes of Murder, Mayhem, and Mysteries in the Mitten.